0: Episode 279. A little Q&A with me. Hey y'all, welcome to the Empowering Educators podcast. I am Gretchen, your host and expert lesson learner. I'm a national board certified elementary teacher turned teacher trainer and coach. All the lessons I've learned and am learning on my edgy journey, I share with you right here. From every silly mistake to the most glorious successes, you're gonna hear stories and strategies that will inspire you to become your best. I have to warn you, as an educator, I can't help but hold you accountable for doing the work. So every episode, I leave you with practical, tangible next steps so you can implement your learning and maximize your impact. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, there's always a lesson if you're willing to pay close attention. Elite Educators, that's the secret to staying empowered. Bring on today's lesson. Hey, hey, y'all. Gretchen here of Always a Lesson, the host of the Empowering Educators podcast. I continue week after week coming into your ear to share lessons I've learned And helps you continue to grow and learn from all my failures and all of my triumphs as well. So today we are going to jump into a unique episode. I'm very excited about it, kind of nervous because I'm not in control and, you know, type A, got some issues. So um, I have called in some reinforcements to help me with this episode And I'll share a little bit more of that in a minute. But we've got some big news. We hit 400,000 downloads from around the world. That means so many educators are learning and growing from the lessons that we are talking about here. That's just a powerful movement to know that many people are able to continue to better their craft because of what we are all willing to share. And I say we, because many of you who are listening have been on the podcast sharing your stories too. Just think about all the students that are benefiting from the adults in the rooms, upgrading their craft and their strategies and being risk takers and... Meeting new people and creating a, a better, more effective PLN. It's just fascinating to me. We're upping our instructional and leadership game. So, high five to all of you listening, especially our top 10 countries. We've got the United States and Australia, Taiwan, Canada, Nigeria, Hong Kong, India, the UK, Saudi Arabia, and Malaysia. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That is so cool. Um, Did you guys enjoy the recent champion series that we were talking about, the three A's, adjustment, attraction, and advocation? That was something new and unique also that made me nervous because it was a lot more personal stories, but I did tie it back to education. So I'd love to hear from you, your takeaways and how it applies to what you're learning and doing in your schools right now. I never knew what i was going to do with those three lessons i didn't know if it was going to end up being in one of my talk series or in a pd session but it ended up here on the podcast and i think that's just perfect so today's episode is going to be fun my team has put together questions to ask me that they think are going to help elite educators like you continue to grow I have not previewed these, and you're going to (laughs) see my authentic reaction as I answer them. But I have some folks who work behind the scenes. So shout out to Chelsea and Madeline. You'll hear them in a second. They work really hard to bring you content like the blogs and the podcasts and PD and classroom materials and all sorts of things. So let's hear from them for just a second. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, this is Madeline. Okay, so props to these two for putting together this unique set of questions. Are we ready? And by the way, sorry about my cold voice, but we just keep getting hit back to back. I'm sure students in your classrooms have been absent quite often, and so I don't know when I'm going to be healthy, so we are going to just roll with it. Okay, let's dig in.
1: What is the career highlight that you are most proud of so far?
0: Oh, what a good question. Career highlight? I think being able to be on the other side as a parent and being able to partner with my kids' teachers has been really cool. But I think when I look back at my career and I'm like, what makes me proud is the journey and seeing all that I was able to accomplish, not just getting a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and becoming nationally board certified and hopefully hearing next month if I recertify those things are great but i just think looking back at all the people i was able to help all while i was growing myself <laughs> i always shudder and thank god if i could go back and help all the kids in those first few years when i was making tons of mistakes they would have a much better teacher um, and same with the people that i worked with like if i could go back to my first few mentees and student teachers <laughs> now knowing what i know i would feel so much better but that isn't how it plays out, and I think that's the point, that we just keep evolving and getting better. So looking back on my journey as a whole, I'm just really proud that I continue to push myself to get better, and not just for me, right, to, to make sure everyone benefits, from my kids' teachers now to all the other future teachers I worked with, and now working with grad students from Johns Hopkins University. That all is so rewarding to be able to say, this is the stuff I've learned Let me help you figure out a way it can work for you in your classroom so that all students can be successful.
1: You always ask your interviewees their all-star moment. What is your all-star moment in your education career?
0: (laughs) I knew one of y'all was going to ask this question because you're right, I do ask everybody. And I've always said, I don't even know what I would say for myself. But a memory did pop up and we were reading a book called Gunny. And it's on my website. There's a blog all about it. You should go check it out. It's a dog, a three-legged dog. And he was a rescue and his whole story overcoming adversity and not, you know, it's all centered around how they helped rehabilitate him. But really, the book is about how he changed everybody else that worked with him. It is a tearjerker. So it's a very short read. At the end of the day, I would read it with my kids. They loved it so much that he became our class pet, even though we had never met him. And I was able to contact the author and she did a Skype with them. So they got to meet her by the time we did this. Gunny had already passed because the book was written, you know, a long time ago. But they were so thankful to meet her and like, oh, my gosh, we met like a real author. And it just became a real moment for them to talk to someone who knew their hero, Gunny, who was their class pet, which she thought was like totally cool. And it was just life changing for them. It really brought learning to life. And that was so cool to be able to orchestrate it. And it really wasn't hard on my end to make it happen. And I hope we continue making learning experiences like that for all our kids.
1: How would your 10-year-old self react to what you do now?
0: (laughs) Oh boy. Well, my 10-year-old self wanted to be a teacher. My fourth grade teacher, Miss Lofi, was so fun. She made learning easy. And I remember social studies was really hard for me. I couldn't remember dates. I hated learning about dead people and all this war stuff that happened like forever ago, I could care less. So I just really lacked a connection and she made learning fun, not just in social studies, but in everything. And she ended up giving me all of her old teaching manuals and so I got to walk around the house and play school and do all that. So that girl right there that dreamed of being a teacher to see me now Teaching teachers and teaching my own kids, I think I would be beaming ear to ear. Like I get to do what I have dreamt of doing because as a kid, it's just a dream. It's a lofty goal. You You hope it happens. And it happened. So that question made me smile. I'm just so proud of that little girl for knowing what she wants and going after it. Do you
1: have a morning routine? If
0: so, what is it? Ooh, morning routine. I thrive on routine. I try and set everything up the night before. I'm very much how I was in the classroom. I never left school without having things prepped physically for the next day. So I would clean my room really quick, like a a quick sweep, and then I'd lay all the materials for the next day's lesson out. I'm paranoid that the copier is going to break or that I'm going to get a flat tire and I'm going to be late. Like, I want everything ready to go. And then anything I can bring home and grade or create assessments or whatever, if I can do that at home, I wouldn't do it at school. I'd just leave. And I'm the exact same way at home now. So to get the kids ready, it's like get all the lunches packed, snacks ready, backpacks out, clothes out, same for myself, so that in the morning, if we're rushed, we can literally pick up and go. And that has been really great. And then once the kids are dropped off after the mayhem of a crazy morning, I can then start prioritizing my workday. I try and do the most heavy lifting stuff like blogging, or podcasting when my brain is fresh right now in the morning and then I try and get some exercise to keep me going otherwise I can kind of hit a lull um, and then got to pick up the kids from school and take them to all their activities and then in the evenings I jump back into all my live calls with my teacher leader mastermind or I'm you know working with my grad students or I'm running a book study right now with some teacher leaders so that's a lot of fun but I guess What I'm saying, I have a daily routine of where I really try and be intentional. Um, I try and be proactive and I try to be set myself up to be successful.
1: If you could do it all over again, would you pursue the same career? Why or why not?
0: Yes, 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 yes. Teaching is really hard. Teaching right now, post pandemic, I am not done. However, I do support teachers and teacher leaders now. It doesn't mean that I know what it's like, but I at least am connected to how different it is and how much harder it is. But even knowing that, it is still the best profession because you are helping people become who they're gonna be as adults. And that affects all of us because if you can help someone create their future, they are gonna be better off to help and support society, which is gonna affect you and what opportunities you have and how protected you are and all that. So to me, it is still, the the benefits still outweigh the stressors right now. I can only hope that things get better with preparing teachers for the classroom, more hands-on and less theory, which is what I succumbed to when I became a teacher. I had to learn a lot and why I've written books because I really wanna make sure you know the nitty gritty of how to do it um, and do it well. <laughs> But I still think, yes, I have no desire to jump back in and have my own classroom right now only because I am really loving being able to be out in schools and classrooms and see what everyone's doing and help more people and have a bigger impact. I think if I went back in the room, in the classroom, I'd have uh, a smaller lens and my impact would diminish and I don't know. I just love being able to help a teacher and her 20 plus kids and work in a whole school building of, you know, 50 plus teachers and all their kids. Um, It's just a really great way to give back. So I don't regret it. And I would still recommend it for anyone who wants to be a teacher. What Enneagram type are you? Ooh, that is fascinating. I took the Enneagram a while ago. So let me pull it up to reference. Okay. Oh, yeah, this is so true. I'm sure you're going to listen and be like, duh, type one perfectionist, um, that making sure I follow the rules. I have this fear of like getting into trouble and (laughs) I cannot tell a lie. The only way I could ever lie is omitting something. I just have a horrible guilty conscience. I don't like the feeling of being in trouble. I'm not a goody two shoes, but I just do what I'm supposed to do. And I don't make a big deal out of it. Like, I don't want recognition. Hate it. So I don't want you to call me out and be like, great job following the rules. Like, just don't talk to me. (laughs) I just want to do what I'm supposed to do and turn stuff in on time. And I can be a little strict with myself on my expectations and and what I expect of others, too. So I'm I'm totally type one. And then I have a wing. I don't know. Is that what they say? Is that the cool lingo? Um, An eight, which they call the challenger, which doesn't really describe who I am. I'm not someone that argues, but I am someone that speaks up for what I believe in, which I think is probably why I ended up on a podcast to be able to talk and share. And it says one of the greatest fears of a type eight is that they're going to be powerless. And that's funny because my dad asked me one time, why do you talk so much? (laughs) And I was little at the time and I didn't know. I was like, I got a lot to say and you never listen. And that was so powerful because that is exactly how I felt being the third kid, the youngest. They would talk and ask questions and they would only take the feedback of each other, my two older brothers. And they wouldn't listen to what I was saying. In fact, (laughs) proof, we were buying a car one time. And we were sitting in the back and my dad asked me, is there enough leg room? I said, no, it's so tight back here. Meanwhile, I'm like the tiniest child ever. So if I'm saying it's tight, like there's a problem. And he goes, great, we're going to get it. It's like he asked so he got credit for asking but didn't care because clearly if he heard what I said, he wouldn't have bought the car or maybe he would have taken some time. And that was proof of how I felt. I always felt like I couldn't be loud enough and I felt – Wiser than my years, and so I thought the things I had to say mattered, like it wasn't just like a kid opinion. Um, so I don't know, that always bothered me. So it's fascinating when I was just reading that about type eight you know, the greatest fear being powerless, or um, so you try and control your environment, which is clearly what I do. I sound awful, y'all are probably like, I do not want to be friends with this person (laughs) who lives a very structured life of perfectionism, and um, no, but I guess that's just deep down being organized and having things in control allows me to be more free. I feel like I can be more relaxed and more fun when things are in order. When things are in chaos, I just absolutely lose my mind. I just cannot get a grip where <laughs> my husband is so chill and like, whatever, which is why we're a great match. He goes with the flow and I do not. Hey, y'all. Popping in here real quick to remind you, if you are loving the podcast, Hop on over to iTunes to leave a star rating and type in a few words for the review. This helps other educators find the show so they too can be empowered. Lots of love and thanks. Now back to the show.
1: If you could take a week off from your regular life to immerse yourself in learning something completely new, what would it be?
0: Ooh, interesting. Okay, learn something new. Oh, you know what I want to do? I want to be an acrobat. (laughs) I really do. (laughs) I was a gymnast as a little kid, and I think I really miss my calling on being able to flip around like The Greatest Showman. Did you ever see that movie? (laughs) I would love to be on a trapeze and flipping around and touring the world in the circus. Like, that would be so fun. So even if I could just check out and do it for a day as like a fun gig, I would totally do that. What is your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is people not keeping their commitments. I cannot understand it. I understand actually that things come up and things happen and you've got to change plans or whatever, but I just can't understand how you don't feel the pressure to keep the commitment. That is not a big deal to you. And you just don't show up or you don't notify people for a meeting or, um, showing up to school and it's like, oh, I just don't feel like it today. I'm gonna call out sick or like, oh, I said I'd lead this committee and I just, I got busy or just all the excuses. I just cannot stand that. I think you need to be thoughtful and intentional when you say you're gonna do something or be somewhere or whatever. And if you can't, then you do whatever is necessary to make it happen or make it up or, you know, apologize or, whatever, fix it, but don't just be like, oh, I can't, can't do it, or I won't be there, or whatever. Oh, drives me crazy. What is one weird
1: fact or small tidbit that you still remember learning in school?
0: Chelsea coming in with the good questions. Okay, a small tidbit that I learned that I still remember today. Oh, so silly, but like spelling Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Uh, me and my girlfriends would like do that out on the playground, so I will never forget how to spell that. But also multiplication facts. I remember talking about um, how to get the number 56. When you're mul- multiplying seven times eight is 56. And when you look at your numbers, it's five, six, seven, eight. So it's an easy way to remember. What's something you wish you knew before starting your teaching career? I kind of said this a little bit in a different answer, but I just wish I understood what teaching was. Like, what did it look like? What did it feel like? What was a real day like? I just don't think I got enough of that in college. It wasn't until junior year that I sat in on an observation and got to kind of see what a whole lesson was like. And then it wasn't until senior year of student teaching when I got to do a little bit but i never really got to see the whole day and you know like planning together as a team with teachers and the logistics of the mailroom and how to use the copier and um you know like i've had my cooperating teachers were so helpful almost in a way that i didn't really get a, a good experience and it wasn't until my first year that i was like oh here's this tip and here's this trick and This is how I should have organized stuff in folders. And, oh, this is how I should have shared plans. And this is how I should have communicated with parents. And, I mean, I I just wish we had a lot more time doing the nitty-gritty of the job before we got the job. And I realize that's probably not realistic in any job to be able to, like, preview. But if you're studying to be a teacher you shouldn't be shocked when you get in there and are like, I am really unprepared. I know a lot of dead educators and their theories on education, but man, I don't really know how to run a classroom well. And it's like, God, that's so backwards. So I wish I knew just all the little logistical pieces that would have made that first year go much better because you're learning so much at one time. It's hard to really gain momentum. What
1: is a piece of advice that you wish you would have gotten as a first-year teacher that you can now pass on to others?
0: That is going to be okay. That even on your worst day, you didn't ruin any kid's life. You're not setting them up to fail in their future lifetime. That this is all part of the process and kids are better off because you're making mistakes, because without the mistake, you're not going to learn and and better understand what to do differently. I think if you're just in there trying to be perfect, that's a lot of pressure, and they're going to have a hard time connecting with someone that's trying to be perfect, and your focus is all on you and what you're saying and what you're doing instead of on the kids, and that's not the point. So I would just tell myself, younger self, first year teacher self, let it go. You're gonna have bad days and really bad days and days you wanna quit, but you're also gonna have some really freaking good days and those are gonna outweigh the bad and no one needs to know when you make a mistake. The kids have no idea you said the wrong page number or you're on the wrong activity, like let it go, get back on track, keep it moving and just keep focused on upward growth. If tomorrow could be 1% better, great and keep going.
1: What's your biggest failure and what did you learn from it?
0: I don't know if this is the biggest, but it definitely comes to mind as like a, ooh, if I could do that again. So we decided to departmentalize and I was teaching third at the time. And I was going to do ELA and social studies, I believe. And so it was like mid-year. We had already really created a classroom culture. And I was teaching a lesson like three times. I remember my principal coming in and she often came into my room and just checked on me as a person. She just really clicked and she knew I was a hard worker and she knew she didn't have to give me a lot of feedback unless I was like, hey, can you tell me something? (laughs) Give me give me some inkling of like where I should go with this. Because she knew that I was so hard on myself that I would work harder anyway than, you know, she wouldn't have to say it. So we had a really cool relationship. And so when she's like, hey, I just want to talk to you real quick. And her tone was kind of like, I was in trouble. I was like, oh, this is, this is a different dynamic. We haven't gone here yet. And she's like, something's up. I was like, what? She goes, I don't know. I can't pinpoint it. But when you have the other class, you're different. I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) I, I run the classes the exact same. She's like, I, I know. And that's great. I'm glad everyone's getting the same thing. But the vibe is different. And I guess what had happened is I didn't spend time building relationships with that next class Because we just had to jump into the content. It was the middle of the year and it was like go time. And like now I'm responsible for 60 plus kids in ELA. Like we're going to crank it out. And uh, you could tell. You could tell my class who I had been with myself for months. And had put in the time of building relationships and getting to know each other. And then the class that just started and came in. And we just got down to the content. And what a contrast. And luckily... I caught it quick enough, because she told me, and the next time she came in, she said, I can already start to see the difference. The kids are more relaxed, and they're willing to answer questions, and not staring at you like they're scared, and you are joking, and you're not trying to quickly get down to business, and the tone is a lot more friendly, so great job. And It took a a while after that for me to really get things up to speed, like how my class was, to really feel like a family. But to me, that was a big lesson. And I mean, we know it, right? Relationships are important. But are we making the time, especially in a time crunch? And usually we don't. So I do wish I could go back. But I think we did catch it early enough. And I don't think the kids, like, picked up on any of that. I would hope not. But I myself know. And I'm like, ugh. It doesn't feel good when I think about that memory. What is something that you think should always be stocked
1: or readily available in a teacher's lounge and why?
0: (laughs) What a cool question. Our uh, staff lounge at one of the schools I worked in got tricked out. I don't remember if it was donations or what, but they had these reclinable chairs. And I went in there every break I could, which is like once a day. And I was, I would eat snack, grade papers, there was a TV in there, and I watched whatever soap opera, I'm not even into soap operas, but it was just like, to be normal for a second, knowing the rest of the world was still going on, and it was like, I could hit pause, it was exactly what I needed to get recharged and finish out the day strong. And I remember folks coming in and were like, you're always in that chair at this same time every day. And I said, it has truly become my happy place, like my little escape to have your feet up in a comfy chair. I don't even know if they still have those at that school, but I highly suggest if you can get a donation or raise money to have some comfy recliners, in the staff lounge for teachers to sit and work or collaborate or eat whatever it's a game changer what's your favorite holiday tradition well since it's holiday time right now we're getting ready for thanksgiving is the time i am recording this and then christmas is right after probably when you'll hear this one Um, i love family time my uh, love language is quality time i don't mind gifts i don't care for words of affirmation, but I do want to know, like personally, one-on-one, I just don't want it to be public. And so for me, like quality time is is how you can really make me feel special and I feel connected. And so holidays are the perfect time to come together. We always have at Thanksgiving thankfuls that we make. My mom will create little squares of paper and pass them out, and you write one thankful, which is like a sentence I'm thankful for you because for each of the people that are going to be there for Thanksgiving. And then my mom puts them all together with a ribbon and a pretty little cover and puts them on the plate as a place setting. And so when you sit down, you see, oh, this is my name. And then after the blessing, we all read them. And my brother is always like, joking like gretchen i'm thankful for you because you have big feet and can pick up things with your toes you know and so i'm laughing because his is ridiculous and then there's like really sweet ones from my parents and i'm so proud of the woman you're becoming and i'm over here crying and you know it's just special moments like that's what life is meant to be and so i did that in my own classroom i would do thankfuls and Um, I told the kids, I hope you can go home and do this with your family. So each and every one of you feels special. And it would be cool to know if they still do that. If you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with the extra time? (laughs) I wish I didn't have to sleep. That would be awesome. But I love sleep. I sleep even when I'm not tired. I just absolutely love being cozy and taking a snooze. But if I didn't sleep, I would probably work because that's what I do. I love to read. I love to learn. I love to write. uh, I love to collaborate with other people. So I would most likely spend my time continuing to work in the way that I best help other people.
1: If you could have coffee with anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why?
0: I still really want to go to Ron Clark Academy and when I left one of my schools, he came to visit like right after I had moved into a coaching position. I was like, ah, he's so fun and just thinks so differently. So I think that would be really cool to meet him. I don't know that I'd care to meet, you know, any non-educators besides probably like Oprah and Ellen because I just think they're just strong and witty and just fantastic go-getters and they've really made a great career for themselves while being good humans so um yeah I, I wouldn't mind meeting those two what is something you personally do to prevent burnout
1: or push forward on difficult days
0: Ooh, so good if you don't follow Amber Harper burned in teacher Um, she does all the burnout stuff and is really been focusing a lot on the research behind it and how to prevent it. And then once you're in it, how to come back out of it. And it's just been fascinating to be a colleague of hers. So if you're feeling that way, please go check it out. But when I am burnt out, I check out, I put away the laptop, I get outside for fresh air. I take all the noise off my phone out of the car i need silence it's a way to kind of clear my head of noise and get rid of any information that's coming in because i feel like a lot of the time i'm just overloaded so stopping all the sounds coming in help me process what's already in my brain store it away to make room for new and then i start to feel like i can breathe again i try and not do any work because that's part of the stressor and take time away to exercise to get the endorphins going to talk anything not school and to laugh. Laughing is a, a way for me to forget um the seriousness of things. And so obviously when I'm in schools, I can't just stop and be like, I'm burnt out, I'm stressed out, I'm gonna go for a walk right now. But I found nooks and crannies in my day to check out. Like when my kids were at specials, I would shut my door and blast music. And I just wouldn't do any schoolwork. I would play on my phone or, I don't know, anything that would be non, non-school related for that 30 minutes or so, so I could just feel a little lighter. And then now that I'm you know kind of contracted all over the place, I might be really stressed out for a few weeks working on a project and then I have a break. So I'll tell myself I'm burning out I know there's an end in sight, I'm gonna schedule some freedom um, once this is done, and and that works too. So my advice, if you're unable to find a break or you cannot cannot find nooks and crannies in your day, then it's time to think about what from your routine could be cut without sacrificing, you know, your paycheck and your mental health. I don't want you to stop going to the gym, or whatever, but there's got to be a way where you can find some balance. And that's what it was for me. I needed to just be able to check out for a minute.
1: What has been the most influential book on education you have read?
0: Ooh, Madeline, a good question. Well, Harry Wong's first weeks of school or whatever the official title is, I just always call it Harry Wong. <laughs> that was great when I was in the classroom because it was like the logistical, tangible, nitty gritty stuff I desired that wasn't there. And then any book by Ron Clark, clearly, because I think he's an amazing educator. I, I loved his Essential 55. In every book he's written after that, Move the Bus, I think that's all fabulous. We'll link all of his books in the show notes so you guys can grab them. But um, I definitely think those have been really transformational in terms of teaching. But when it came to coaching other teachers, I love the Teach Like a Champion series by Doug Lamov. And he then worked alongside or with Paul Bambrick Santoyo, who did Get Better Faster. And it basically uses the Teach Like a Champion techniques through a coaching lens, which is really cool partnership between the two. Um, So if you're in leadership of any kind, I would grab both of those books because it helps you. Okay, here's the teaching technique and how do I coach someone to use it better? And it was like, oh my God, my Bible when I started coaching. So those have all been really fabulous
1: what is one goal that you are currently working towards?
0: I'm writing my third book. Hopefully it'll be done next summer. And it is for teachers. My first book was Elementary Education 101, What They Didn't Teach You in College. Because again, I feel like I didn't have all the little details. And now this is going to be more... Um, strategy, principles, tactics, an overview of what you should work on and why you should work on it in that order. The sequence is really the key here. And so I'll unveil what that secret sequence is and how it could benefit the classrooms of your kids and your colleagues' kids. So I'm really excited for that to come out, but I'm even more excited to finish writing it. What are you not very good at? Oh, so many things. I don't like cooking. I can follow a recipe, but I don't enjoy it at all. Um, I cannot sing, and I think that would be fun if I could ever learn how to sing. Mm, I'm not artistic. My mother and my brother are fabulous artists. My grandmother is an amazing artist, and I have zero artistic talent. (laughs) So yeah, just a few
1: of the things I'm not so great at if you could have one song play every time you entered a room what would it be
0: <laughs> like a hype song oh my gosh well being a speaker you do get to choose a song to come out on stage too so i've chosen can't stop the feeling justin timberlake from the troll soundtrack every time i hear it It just makes me want to get up and dance. And when you're about to speak in front of people, you could be nervous. So I think that's one way to just chill out, have some fun, show some personality. And remember, it's all for the good of the group. All right, y'all, this wraps up uh, the questions from my team. Thank you to Chelsea and thank you to Madeline. Those questions were cool and it got me really thinking. And hopefully there was a little nugget in there too to help you continue learning and growing and maybe just feel a little more connected to me since you've been listening for so long well y'all i look forward to jumping back in to your regularly scheduled programming but for right now this is a wrap for this special edition podcast the q a episode with me your host gretchen bridgers now go out and be great because you've just been empowered